All right, parents, if you have not checked in your kids for kids ministry, you can do that out of the table in the foyer. If you have, you can go ahead and send your children out there. They're going to meet uh, their teachers out there and then head down to their classes today. If you've got your Bible, um, I want to encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 5 and to Romans chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 5, Romans chapter 2. And uh, we're in a series, if you're, if you're a guest with us today, um, we're in a series called Killing Kryptonite. And uh, the book is still available if you want to pick up a copy of that. And uh, it's a series that we've been going through in our small groups. And uh, I've been sharing some, some messages on it. And um, today, we're actually going to cover two different, two different sections. Well, it's actually one of the sections of the book in its entirety. And so it's chapters 8 through 14. Um, because we missed service last week and because we do want to finish this before everyone runs away for Memorial Weekend, um, we want to make sure that we get done with that. And so I'm going to do my very, very best to cover that as quickly as I possibly can. Um, today's message is, is titled Modern Idolatry, Modern Idolatry, because for us... I when we think of idolatry, we think of little statues. You know, all around the world today, there are places where there are, are statues that people are bowing down to and burning incense to, and that is idolatry, but the scripture will clearly show us today that that's not the only type of idolatry, and there's actually idolatry in our lives that's more prevalent than you and I would think here in this nice uh, country that we live in. Um, the idea of killing kryptonite comes from, of course, the story of Superman. Um, you know, the kryptonite neutralized Superman's powers. And in the same way, the scripture talks about something in our lives that will neutralize our power of believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul starts to unwrap this for us. And he talks about the believers who were weak, sick, and even dying prematurely because of this stuff in their lives. And for them, what they were doing was really mistreating one another in the body of Christ. And because of that, because some people were doing that, many of them were weak, sick, and dying prematurely. We learned that kryptonite is not just dangerous, it's also contagious. God has designed our bodies to show us that sickness doesn't just stay in one part of our bodies, it affects the whole body. Um, and then today, we're going to talk about this idea of idolatry, and we're going to start with the idea of marriage. Um, because marriage, in the scripture... In the same way that our bodies last time were a, a picture of Christ's relationship with the church, um, marriage is also a picture and has been a picture of God's covenant with mankind since the very beginning. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You may have heard that at your wedding when the minister read it, but look at this. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So somehow this marriage covenant is a picture of Christ in the church, and it's a mystery that has been in God's will from the very beginning. If you go through the scriptures, you'll find all throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament... Uh, like scriptures like these, Isaiah 54, 5, your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Ezekiel chapter 16, I will sentence you to the punishment of a woman caught in a, who commits adultery and who shed blood. I will deliver you into the hands of your lovers. They will tear down your mounds and destroy your lofty shrines. 
John chapter 3, John the Baptist says, the bride, meaning the followers of Jesus, belong to the bridegroom. The friend himself who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. And so Paul continues that analogy in Ephesians chapter 5, and then James continues the analogy in James chapter 4, when he says, when you ask, or when you pray, and you ask God to do things, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you can spend what you get on your pleasures. That word pleasures is the word covetous desires. It's important for us to remember that. We're going to come back to it. Your covetous desires. You adulterous people. You adulterous people. Notice that James is calling them adulterers. I mean, it has nothing to do with their marriage vows now. It has everything to do with their covenant with God. God opposes the proud and he shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash your hands and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so this idea of adultery, the way to break it, if you will, is to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God. Now, there's a video I want to show you, and I, I, I wrestled with taking it out of the message today just for a lack of time, but I want to show it to you because it clearly illustrates what we're talking about in this um, message. And so give your attention to Justin and Angela here. That castle. Really? Isn't that phenomenal? So they taught you how to fold the napkins? Yes. Oh, wow. I actually, believe it or not, I know how to fold the uh, Sydney Opera House. I don't believe you. No, no, I really do. I, I, I can totally show you. Stop. I'm very excited. Good evening. Oh, good evening. Have you um, dined, dined with us before? Yes, actually. This is our favorite restaurant. Welcome back. Uh, no, babe, I'm pretty sure we've never been here before. No. That's weird. Really? Um, yeah, no. No, we haven't. <laughs> oh. Hold that thought just one second. I'm really, oh, yeah. no, really sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So what would you like to order this? Uh, yes, sir. So you know what? I think I would like to have that salmon. That, that sounds absolutely wonderful. That's one of my favorites. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that. And for you, ma'am? Oh, um, I will have the filet mignon and the New York strip and the eight-ounce sirloin, all medium rare, please. Yes, fantastic. That is a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. I will get those right out to you. Babe, that's, that's kind of a lot of food, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not just ordering for one, you know. Wait, are you? Are you telling me that we're... Are we expecting? Yeah, he'll be here soon. It's a boy? Oh my... Yeah, of Oh my gosh, course. babe, okay, this has got to be... There he is the... now. Wait, Hi. what? Oh, bonjour. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. Mm. <laughs> I ordered for you. Oh, thank you. You know me so well. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry. Do you, do, do you two know each other? Do you yeah, guys... he is my boyfriend from high school. Your, your boyfriend from, from high school? Babe, can I ask you what your old boyfriend's doing? <laughs> uh, did I come at a bad time? No! Yeah. I really don't see the problem here, Justin. Yeah, I really don't see the problem here. Okay, who are you? Honey, stop, you're embarrassing me. I just wanted us to have one nice night at our favorite restaurant. Okay, first of all, I've never been to this restaurant. And, and second, what is going on? Hey, babe, sorry I'm late. Did I miss anything? 
Okay, seriously? Hey, you, all right, you, you take your hand off her and you, what is going on? Just sit down, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right. Angela, is this, is this some kind of joke? Are you, are you actually seeing these guys? Justin, I have known these guys longer than I've known you. Wait, what? Are you seriously jealous right now? Jealous? Angela, in case you forgot, we're married. Okay, and we spend the majority of our time together. I'm, I love you more than any of my other boyfriends. That's why you'll always be my favorite. Your, your favorite. Is, is there anyone else I need to know about? Babe, is there a problem over here? Okay, really, the waiter? No, Dennis, we're All fine. right, seriously, no. Good, food will be right out. Oh, uh, okay, uh, Angela, Angela, all right. These guys need to go, and we need to talk. We're done. I cannot believe this. You are being so selfish. Selfish? I... Why do you always have to make everything about you? You ruined our favorite restaurant. <sighs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that seems a bit ludicrous, but it illustrates the point that none of us in this room would enter into a marriage covenant that was like that. And yet many of us in the church world live as, that, as if that's the kind of bride Christ is returning for. I mean, God, I give you most of my time. I give you most of my energy. I give you, you know, partial obedience. I mean, I do 99% of what you ask, God. How many of you want to marry someone that's just going to give you 99% faithfulness? When James says you're committing adultery against God, the idea that adultery in the Old Testament was related to idolatry, spiritual adultery is idolatry. And idolatry is the spiritual kryptonite that we've been talking about and are going to continue to talk about as we move forward. It's our breaking covenant with our bridegroom with God. I want you to go over to Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, Paul begins a discourse and John goes in the book, he's going to go into much greater detail in the, the seven chapters in this section than I can in this short time together. And so if you don't agree with what I said, I would challenge you to read those chapters and let it kind of process and sink in and look up the other scriptures he uses uh, because just due to the time constraints, there's no way I can cover everything that he covers in this book. That's why we make those available to you. But in Romans chapter 2, Paul ends his discourse from chapters 1 to 2 with this word. Indeed, <clears throat> when Gentiles, the non-Jews, who do not have the law, do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. So what Paul is saying is, 
Unbelievers, people who do not have God's law, just by their very nature, the way they act, the way they feel guilty when they do certain things, shows that God's laws are clearly written upon our hearts at birth. You do not have to teach a toddler that when he punches his little sister, he's in trouble. Do you? I mean, he knows. He, right away, he knows he's in trouble. He, sometimes it's like, shh. Because he doesn't want you to find... He knows because God's laws are written on their hearts from the time that they're born. Scripture says that all throughout the Bible. But let's go back now to the beginning of Paul's lesson. That's where he ended. But look at this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. See, God's laws are written on our hearts, but when we suppress the truth, because here's the thing, we don't like his laws. We want to lash out at people. We do not want to forgive people who have wronged us. We do not want to love our enemies. We do not want to do good to those who hate us. So we suppress the truth. God, I know your word says that, or I know my conscience is telling me this, but I want to do what I want to do. Because what has been made known to them about God is plain. God has made it plain to them. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You cannot reasonably look at the human body and all of the intricacies of the human body and the world and the axis of the earth and its position away from the sun and think by chance... All of this happened unless you want to suppress the truth because you don't like it and you want to do what you want to do. Sometimes people will say, well, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, how about that person on a deserted island somewhere that never heard the gospel? Is God going to send them to hell? What Paul is saying is God has made it plain to them and God is more than able if they look to him to reveal to them who Jesus is. In Muslim countries, people are dreaming about Jesus and finding faith without anyone even being able to tell them about who Jesus is. So if you follow what he has written on your heart, you will find him in the person of Jesus Christ. He will make sure of it. But if you suppress the truth, as we're going to go on to read what he does for them. The next verse, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. That word they neither glorified is the, in some translation, is the word worship. They didn't worship him as God. And for some of us, we define worship as what we do in this building, you know, what we did when Ginny was up here leading us in songs. But can I tell you, the Bible doesn't define worship that way. Back in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Do you know what Abraham was about to do when he went over there? He was about to do what God told him to do. Put your son on an altar and sacrifice him to me. That's worship. Worship is not lifting your hands. It's not singing a song. It's doing what God said to do. 
It's obedience, full obedience, knowing he's your creator, he's your maker. He knows better than us what we could, should, or should not do. But we as human beings want to suppress the truth because we know better. The focus of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 here is not about building statues. It's that these people, because they refused to worship God or they refused to give him thanks, by the way, the elitism, uh, you know, or the entitlement that we have in our generation today comes from a people who don't want to give God thanks. And not just give God thanks for like air and no snow, but want to give God thanks in all circumstances. I love that Mark brought that out today, that we can rejoice in suffering. We give thanks to God, not for suffering, but we give thanks in suffering because we recognize it is producing something of eternal value in our lives. And even though we contend for healing or breakthrough or victory, we will give thanks in the midst of it. And that's what builds hope and character in our lives. So this, it's not about statues. It's about creating a God different than who he's revealed himself to be. It's idolatry to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. In other words, it's idolatry to say, I worship God, I go to church, but not do what he says. Or to think that he's okay with our disobedience. That, you know, you know you'll, you'll get to that sometime. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he goes on to say, When they did this, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, to degrade their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. That seems like a weird place to put amen, so be it, isn't it? I mean, that's not like a prayer. Wow. I mean, maybe just the praised part. But he turned them over to the, themselves. Anytime God turns you over to yourself, it's because he, he knows the downward spiral of being turned over to yourself is going to bring you to a place that's so devastating and so dark that maybe in that moment you'll reach up to him. And in that moment when you reach up to him, he will be right there. He will not be standing over you saying, I told you so, I knew this was... I mean, you know how we as parents... <laughs> My daughter yelled at me this week. It was so terrible of me. But these little kids were running at the school during the Grand March, and their parents, people kept telling them, stop running, stop running, stop running, stop running. And uh, one little boy fell. And you know the cry that's not a real cry. It's like I fell down, but I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. And I knew this young boy, and so he's crying. And I just looked and said, well, it was bound to happen. And I picked up my stuff, and I walked out the door. And Micaiah, we get to the car, and Micaiah's like, Dad, that was kind of mean. You were just like, well, it's bound to happen. I'm like, well, it was bound to happen. But that's not God. Thank goodness he is way better than I am because he's not going to come to you in that spiral and say, it was bound to happen. He's going to reach down and he's going to pull you out. But he won't until you humble yourself. Remember what James said? The, the, the key to breaking idolatry or adultery in our lives is to humble ourselves and repent. It's to cry out to God, submit to him in his ways. So God gave them over to their desires to bring them back to himself in reality. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Men abandoned natural relationships with women, were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, 
you know, we argue all the time whether or not the word homosexuality is in the Bible or blah, 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 how it's written, worded. Uh, that's pretty plain. Okay, there's really no argument about that. I know they do try to twist some of those words and make it, but uh, it doesn't get much plainer than that. In verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain or keep the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So they would do things that ought, ought to be done. Look at this. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil. This translation translates that greed, but it, again, that's the word covetousness and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent new ways of disobeying. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. So they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They suppress the truth. They've embraced the lie. They've begun to perceive something as wisdom, but it's actually foolish. They've begun to regard things as normal, which aren't normal at all. And this is going to continue until everything that is good, what God says is good, is actually labeled as evil, and what is evil is labeled good. That's what's going to happen. And then in verse 32, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. God isn't picking on homosexuals in this passage. This is a sign of the progression that happens when we reject him and suppress the truth. And he turns us over to ourselves. This is the spiral. And why is it about the, the marriage covenant? Because again, from the beginning, the marriage covenant, man and wife, has been God's mystery of his relationship with his church. And when we alter the covenant of marriage, we alter the covenant of God. What we're saying is, God, we know this is your way, but we know better than you, our creator, and we're going to do it our way. And not only do we approve of these things, we do them and we approve of them, but we actually applaud and encourage it. And if you can't look around the culture that we live in today and realize that our culture is inundated with idolatry because of this spiral. But the problem is, and I don't have a lot of time to get into this, and I hope to, hate to open this can of worms, but we think as American Christians, we're just going to convince people that homosexuality is a sin. But in this passage, it's clear that the, the problem isn't the homosexuality, it's the idolatry. I'm not against saying homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. I said it. But we're not going to convince anyone out there that's in this spiral of that until we convince them of idolatry. We break down those idols. Look in the Old Testament. The people that God called to bring the people of Israel back to him, the first thing they did was tear down the high places. If you are not in prayer tearing down the idols, the high places, we ain't convincing anybody of anything. And we, we wonder why when we try to do it, this happens. And then we end up arguing and even being angry at the very people we're trying to reach or disgusted. We're disgusted by their behavior. I don't know how you're going to ever win them if you're disgusted by them. I promise you, God could have been disgusted at each of us in this room. We were all in that filthy condition. And he didn't. 
He came and he got down with us and he loved us. I want you to notice that it's not just about the world and it's not just about our country. It's about the church because there's a lot of stuff in that list that is in our lives. Maybe we're not homosexual, but he talked about being gossips and slanderers and all of these other things too. You know, the good sins that we sometimes say, well, you know. And not only do we approve of that, we approve of those who do it. And you know, the scripture says, warn a divisive person once and after that don't have anything to do with them. There's a reason for that. Idolatry is what Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. And this is why many of them were weak and sick and they were dying prematurely because they had created a foolish idea of what God was like. Not because they had statues to worship, but because they weren't doing what he said to do. If you look at the list of things that he has to go against, we see it over and over in the book of First and Second Corinthians. They were jealous. They were divided. They were picking favorite preachers. There was sexual immorality. There was adultery. They were suing one another. They were divisive. They were in strife with one another. James in James chapter 4 talked about bitter jealousy, motivated by selfish ambition, quarreling and fighting. These are the results of idolatry that Paul is addressing in this church in Corinth and telling them, this is why many of you are sick and weak and dying prematurely. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, writing to, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, writing to the same church, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I present you as a pure virgin to him, but I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion with Christ. In other words, Eve looked at the tree that God said, do not touch that tree. Actually, he didn't say that. Do not eat from that tree. Eve added that part. See, even I got confused. <laughs> Do not eat from that tree. And Eve said, oh, I see something good in that tree, even though God said, don't touch it. And she ate from it. She reasoned that she knew more than her creator. And look where we are now. And that's what Paul's saying. You've created a God in your mind that even though God has clearly said, do not do this, you've reasoned why it's okay. You reasoned why it's okay. And the church is filled with this. And I'm not, I don't want to preach this because I want you to go home feeling bad about yourself. I want you from that pit, that spiral that many of us are in to look up and say, God, I repent. I'm going to humble myself and I want, you, I want to submit to your ways. I don't want to reason an excuse in my heart any longer. In the book, he talks about King Saul and he talks about Saul going after a group of people called the Amalekites. You remember God said, go after the Amalekites and I want you to destroy all of them. All of their animals, all the people. Okay, now what does the word all mean? All, yep, all. And if you remember the story, he kept the king alive and some of the best animals. Now he kept the king alive because you keep the king alive so you can keep him in your dungeon and it's a trophy. Oops. He kept the best animals alive so he says to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, God doesn't want your sacrifices. You have rebelled against God. Now, he has done 98% of what God asked him to do, but Samuel says, you have rebelled against God. And rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Then he says, stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness is iniquity 
and idolatry. To be stubborn in the Greek, or the Hebrew here, literally means to push back. In other words, God says go one direction and you push back and you say no. It's idolatry. There are two words as we get ready to close that I want to introduce to you and then we're going to pick up here next week. These two words are intertwined throughout the New Testament in ways that um, when I read this book, I'll, I'll be honest, when I read the book the first time, uh, I wasn't real impressed. I didn't like it. Um, but I put it on the list. Anyway, it's weird because if I don't like a book, I don't usually put it on the list as one to do. But for some reason, I felt like it was still a book we needed to do. Um, and I gave a couple copies to other people and said, hey, you read this and tell me if you like it because maybe if you like it, I'm missing something. Um, and they liked it, so I thought, okay, I'm missing something. Um, and now I love it. So I must have just been in a weird season of life. So if you're reading it right now and you hate it, uh, just put it away for a day or two, a week or two, a month or two, and then pull it back out, and maybe you'll love it. I, I did. But the two words, I digress. The first one is the word contentment. The word contentment means a feeling or showing satisfaction in one's possessions, in one's status, or in one's situation. It means to be satisfied. If we are going to serve in the kingdom of God, we have to learn contentment. Paul uses this in a lot of his writings. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If we do not have contentment, we will always be about what's in it for me. Every decision that we make will be, how can I get more? How can I get something for me? Or that decision doesn't, I don't like what it is for me. I'm not content. I'm not content in my relationship with God. I'm not content in my status. I'm not content where I am. Jesus is a picture of contentment. When he said, not my will, but your will be done. Don't confuse the word contentment with complacency. Complacency means, eh, whatever happens, happens. That's not to be satisfied. Jesus was not complacent, but Jesus was content. And so we've got to make sure we understand those are not the same words. The second word is the word covetousness. We've already looked at it in a couple scriptures this morning. And that's not a word that we use often in our language. And that's why a lot of writers, translators will use the word greed. But I don't think greed really translate what really translate what we're talking about when we talk about covetousness. It's a strong desire of obtaining and possessing some supposed good. It's not good, but you we we did, we feel like it's good. I don't have something I want, and so I, I want to get it. It's that strong desire to possess some supposed good. Look at Colossians chapter three. If then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Remember, James calls people that are friends of the world adulterers. For you died. Okay, he's not writing to dead people. He's writing to people who have given their lives to Christ. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So therefore... Put to death your members. Okay, by the way, he's talking about members like parts of your body. Okay, don't, don't put to death any of our members. <laughs> yeah, I just want to clear that up. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is adultery, idolatry. 
which is idolatry. See, when we move from contentment to covetousness, I'm no longer content. God has given me what I want, so I'm going to move this way because I want to get this supposed good over here. It's idolatry. It's saying, God, I know better than you. Your word, what you're telling me to do over here, that's not going to get me where I want to go. And it's so subtle. It creeps into our lives in such subtle ways, and many of us spiritually are so weak, and we want to blame it on all these other things. And it could be that we just never have fully submitted ourselves to trust our Father, that even when we're suffering, He's producing hope, character in our lives. There's, I forget which book it is, but there's an encyclopedia of New Testament words that John Bevere references, and it explains this word covetousness even further. It says this, an inappropriate desire for more, implying a self-idolizing, grasping spirit. See, contentment moves us away from idolatry, closer to the heart of of God, but covetousness drives us to the altars of idolatry and away from the heart of God. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the question is, is he enough? Is he enough? It goes all the way back to Justin and Angela. Are you content to be at the table with just him if you're not getting the food you wanted? If you're not getting the lovers you wanted? I mean, don't look at that video of Justin and Angela and think of lovers as like, you know, smoking and drinking and sleeping around and all these bad sexual things. You know, you're not, that person never came and said they were sorry. You know, I loved Heather's description today in in Sunday school about wisdom. You know, instead of going to the person and trying to help them grow when they have a character flaw, we take our wisdom about them to someone else and share our wisdom. That's foolishness. And that's saying, God, I I know you you tell me I got to go to that person and make this right, but I know better than you. And so I bring to my table my wisdom. I bring to my table the things I want, the things I desire. And we wonder why many are sick and weak and even dying prematurely. A Christian who engages in idolatry and disregards what God has clearly revealed in order to obtain their strong desire is being weakened by spiritual kryptonite. The Corinthian church, as we've already listed the the, the church that James was writing to, we already listed. But I want to give you two last scriptures, and I know we're past 1130, and I apologize for that. But I, I got to give you these scriptures. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. There are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of us, who can quote the Bible, but we don't do it. It's not about what you memorize, it's about what you live. Memorize less, live more. The reason in our huddles this year we kind of scaled back and thought, let's preach and teach the same thing and let's just give people one thing a week because we'd rather them live it than know everything. There's a lot of people that know everything, aren't living any of it. 
And the scariest scripture of all from 2 Timothy chapter 3, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And he is not describing the world. He's not talking about sinners. He's describing people in the church who have found a way to offer religious sacrifice to God, but yet still get to keep their own covetous desires. You know, I can go to church, I can sit in the pew, I can read my Bible, I can lift my hands during worship, I can uh, be in small groups, I can do all these things. But, you know, those, those things that, God, you're asking me to do, I'll do 99%. Just look at the 99% I'm doing, God. And God's saying, I need you to give me everything. Now, if you're in this room and you are legitimately struggling to get free from something, you are working, you are being accountable, you're growing, you're not excusing it, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about those things that we've allowed in our lives, we've excused because other people have acted a certain way or because of the way we were treated or the things that have happened in our lives and we're making all these excuses as to why this is in our lives even though God says get it out of your life. That's what we're talking about. That is idolatry. And that produces weakness that we do not want in our lives. <clears throat> I want to end on what we talked about at the beginning, not of this message, the beginning of the book. Go back and read those chapters often. Remember what we're going after, the potential of God. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know about you, but if, you ever, if we were to get a letter like 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, how many of you would be encouraged by that letter? It'd be like, geez, Paul, did we do anything right here? And so, I mean, it's like bad to worse. He's like, about this next thing, I don't have anything good to say to you at all. And uh, over and over. But here's the thing, that's love. Because he cares more about what's true. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells them to awake to righteousness. There's a lot of lost people in your city. Remember the words of the, the, the prophet Daniel who spoke, the people who know their God will display strength and they'll take action. Be those people. There's a potential inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit to let the glory of God rise in our lives and for this city to be changed by that glory. That's the potential. And the reason it's, it's not happening, please hear this, the reason it's not happening has nothing to do with what's going on in Washington, D.C. It has nothing to do with what's happening in our political climate. It has everything to do with what's happening in the church. If the church will let the glory of God begin to rise on our lives, the rest of that prophecy is people will flock to the light. Yeah, pray for our people, pray for Washington, pray for that, sign things, do all that, but that's not where the battle's gonna be won. It's gonna be won in the glory of God that rises on our lives. As we as believers are content, <laughs> Content. They're taking away our rights. They're taking away our freedoms. Tell that that Pastor Andrew Brunson, who for 18 months is in a Turkish prison because he gave his life. So what? They take away some of my rights. 
the day is going to come when they're going to take away more than our rights. And we're going to face what people like Pastor Andrew are facing. And if we can't stand and be content now, we won't stand and be content later. Pursue contentment in the kingdom of God and flee from covetousness. And that's all the time I have. And so we're just going to stop. I want you to stand with me. Again, there's a, a ton of stuff in the chapter that I didn't cover, but I hit as many of the high points as I felt like God wanted us to hear. We got to make sure we're fighting the right battle. And the first battle we need to fight is the battle in our lives. I want you, just for these few moments, with your eyes closed, I just want you to picture yourself at a table with Jesus, much like Justin and Angela in that video. Which side of the table are you on? Are you the one that makes excuses for the other lovers that you want to have in your life? Why do you want to hold on to that unforgiveness? Why do you want to hold on to that anger, that resentment? Ignoring people that have hurt you instead of doing good to those who have hurt you. All kinds of reasons to have those people at the table. But you have a bridegroom sitting across the table that expects pure devotion. And here's the thing. If you give everything, you lay it all down, you can trust him. He'll protect you. He'll keep you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's his word. But will you be content with just him and you? If there's areas of idolatry in your heart that you need to repent of, would you acknowledge that today just by slipping up your hand and saying, God, I'm going to give it to you? Just as an act of release, just throw up your hands and say, I'm, I'm releasing it. I'm releasing it. Everything I've held back, I'm releasing it. I want you to hold your hands there, and I'm going to pray over you before we dismiss. Say, God, I, I need to be right with you. I'm giving up. I'm giving up every lover. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to submit to you. So, Father, everything, everything, you are more than enough. We declare it to you right now. We trust you. God, we humble ourselves today and admit that we've said we've trusted you, but yet we have reasoned in our hearts why disobedience was okay. And we want to turn from that. We want to, <clears throat> we want to repent today. We want to forsake every other lover, and we want to pursue you. You are more than enough for us. You are more than enough for us. You are more than enough for us. We trust you. We love you. We surrender everything we have and everything we are to you. You can put your hands down. <clears throat> if you're in this room today <clears throat> and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, the Bible says that every one of us has broken God's law and we're guilty. And because of that, we deserve to, be, to spend the rest of eternity in a place called hell. But God loved us and he didn't want that to happen. 
And so even while we were his enemies, he sent his son to this earth to give his life. He took our penalty. The beating he took, the cross he was crucified on, that was ours. And he took it. He willingly took it. And the crazy thing is, is he doesn't even hold it over us like, like many of us would if we took someone else's punishment. You owe me. He just reaches his hands out and says, trust me. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, and you're in this room today and you say, I want to do that. I want to I repent. I want to turn from my ways and I want to give myself fully to him. If you're here and that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I want to do that today. Would you pray with me? Would you explain that to me more? I don't want to take, I don't want to miss that opportunity if you're in this room. Never surrendered my life to Christ. I want to do it today. If you're a believer in this room, please be praying for those whose hearts are being wrestled with. And Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them. God, that you'd give them peace. Holy Spirit, I ask for grace today to totally and completely rid our lives of idolatry. Just as they did in the, the Old Testament when they tore down those high places. God, I pray for everyone today who's made that commitment. Holy Spirit, show us those things that need to just be torn down. And give us the grace to follow hard after you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team is always here in the front. If you need prayer for something you haven't had the opportunity to be prayed for, please don't leave without that. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you.